Good morning, TLC. You're like, wow, did Austin start smoking 16 packs a day uh, since the last time he talked? No, I just lost my voice this week, so uh, I'm going to give it a go, and if I have to turn it over to Torin, I'll turn it over to Torin, all right? Hey, uh, there are times in our life where uh, someone asks a question of us, and when that question is asked, two answers flood into our minds simultaneously. The right answer and the honest answer. Sometimes they are the same, but sometimes they are different. Here's what I mean. Let's say, for example, you're at the party, and uh, the host bought some pizza, and you have a plate. The plate is empty. Everyone else's plates are empty. You're hungry. Everyone else is hungry. You can tell there's just a hungry energy in the room, okay? And the host comes to you, and they're like, hey, there's one final piece of pizza. Would you like this last piece of pizza? The right answer is, no, thank you. I'm not very hungry. That's okay. Somebody else can have it. The honest answer is, yes, I would like that piece of pizza very much. And in fact, if you could order some more pizza, we're all very hungry. Thank you. Another example for the ladies in the room, your husband, your spouse, your fiance, boyfriend, whatever, comes up to you and is like, Hey, babe, I've been working on this mustache for like three weeks. What do you think? <laughs> the, the right answer is, oh, my gosh, babe. I think your mustache looks so good. Oh, my gosh, you look so hot. <laughs> the honest answer for like 95% of us in the room, there are the 5% who can pull off the mustache. If you're wondering if you're in the 5%, if you have a mustache, you're in the 5%, all right? But the honest answer for 95% of us is, no, it doesn't look good, babe. In fact, when I go to kiss you, it, it, it's really prickly, and I don't like it, and it's giving me weird dad vibes, and I would just like if you would go shave it. Again, if, you're, if you have a mustache right now in this room, I promise you, you're in the 5%, because the distance between the right answer and the honest answer, I assure you, is very short. My wife, I went to kiss her. I tried the mustache thing. I can't pull it off. I went to kiss her. She started laughing. I walked upstairs. I shaved it right away, okay? <laughs> The right answer, honest answer. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're different. I'll give you one more example. You go through the car wash, and the person at the car wash, literally all they do is take your card and, and put it in the machine and then give it back to you. And then they, and the machine's going to do the rest, right? It's a, it's a car wash. There's like a whole thing you go through, and they say, would you like to leave a tip, sir? You guys are familiar with this tip epidemic, right? The right answer is, yeah, one dollar, please. <laughs> The, hon the hon It's funnier with my voice sounding like this. The honest answer is, no, I don't want to leave you a tip. You simply did your job. I don't get a tip for doing my job. No, I would not like to leave a tip. There's the right answer. There's the honest answer. Sometimes they're the same. Sometimes they're different. This morning, we wrap up our series, Deeper in which, in a whole host of different ways and angles, we've tried to reiterate over and over again that true growth and true change and true transformation, like what you just heard in the waters of baptism, is possible. And it's possible only when we focus our eyes on Jesus and we grow deeper in him. But yet, I think for many of us, questions still remain. Like, we get it, man. Like, Jesus is awesome. 
and we have to focus our eyes more on him and and we have to grow deeper in him if we want to really grow and change. But many of us questions remain, how do we do that? How do we focus our eyes more on Jesus? How, How do we want more of him? How do we grow deeper in him? And I think with this series of questions, two answers simultaneously flood into our minds. The right answer and the honest answer. The right answer, the Sunday school answer, the answer you'll find in your books deeper if you've been following along with our series, the answer you will find in the Bible is that we cannot do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. That keeping in step with the indwelling spirit of the living God is what allows us to truly change, to truly grow, and to truly grow deeper in Jesus. We cannot do it on our own. As abstract as that sounds, as in the clouds as that may sound, scripture could not be clearer on this. We cannot do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. That's the right answer. But the honest answer, for many of us, myself included, is something different entirely. Because for many of us, when, we're at, when we ask or other people ask the question, how do you grow, how do you change, how do you grow deeper in Jesus, if we're honest, most of us with our lives, we answer those series of questions with a series of answers that in our lives look like, well, I just have to white knuckle it a little bit longer and then I'll be able to change. Or I just have to be a little more disciplined and then I'll be able to go deeper. I just have to learn that little bit more of information. And then once I've got that, I will change. Or I've just got to, to stop that behavior. I've just got to get that fixed. And then once I get, get that fixed, then I'll be able to go deeper. Or I just need to have that experience. And once I have that experience, everything's going to be different. And I will have changed. There's the right answer. And there's the honest answer. Sometimes they're the same. But sometimes They are different. And I don't think we can go any further this morning without just recognizing and acknowledging that tension that most of us feel in our daily lives. I want you to know that my hope and my prayer this morning is that we would leave here with just a slightly deeper awareness of our desperate need for the Holy Spirit. That no amount of white knuckling, no amount of discipline, no amount of strength, no amount of power, no amount of information, no amount of stopping or starting some sort of behavior or something like that, no amount of experiences will allow you to do what only God can do in your life, bring true change and true transformation. My hope and my prayer this morning is that the right answer and the honest answer would become more closely and closely aligned, not just with our lips, but in the way that we live our lives. That this morning, that one more chance, that we would lay our feelings of helplessness and hopelessness right where they belong, at the feet of Jesus. I love how Dane Ortland puts it. He says this, Jesus Christ's own heart for you is flourishing growth. He understands more deeply than you do the psychology of the heart, fueling the sin you can't seem to leave behind once and for all. And he is well prepared and fully equipped to walk you out of that darkness. For he has given you the most precious gift of all, his own Holy Spirit. Now before we go any further, I want to acknowledge that. I know that there's some people in the room maybe who, at the mention of the Holy Spirit, 
you start to disengage. Maybe you grew up in a tradition where the Holy Spirit was the center point of everything. The Holy Spirit was emphasized to a point that slowly and slowly things started to feel a little less authentic. Things started to feel showy. Things started to feel manipulative. And when you hear the phrase, the person, the Holy Spirit, you start to feel that spiritual manipulation in your body, in your heart, in your soul, and in your mind, and you start to disengage. I think that there are others of us this morning who when we hear the Holy Spirit, we start to disengage because we feel unrest. We feel uneasy. We feel in uncharted territory because maybe you grew up in a tradition similar to the one I grew up in where it was Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. And the Holy Spirit was neglected entirely. And so you, we mention the Holy Spirit, you start to feel unrest, you start to feel uneasy, you start to disengage. Maybe you already have. And I would just ask you, I'd, I'd just beg you this morning, if that's you, I'd just ask you to, to come back, to re-engage. I want, you to, I want to validate those experiences that you've had. Those are real. But I also want you to know that those experiences and, and others like them, they're incomplete They're incomplete because in many cases in these experiences, oftentimes the tendency is to set the Holy Spirit in some sort of competition with Jesus. Some sort of hierarchy takes place where the Holy Spirit is set in competition with Jesus, which is just an incomplete portrait of the one that Jesus offers us. Jesus doesn't set the Holy Spirit in competition with himself. Jesus establishes a clear collaboration between the Holy Spirit and Jesus. A collaboration so deep that it's truly impossible for us to comprehend. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are not in competition. They're in collaboration. And this is the portrait Jesus offers us. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd love for you to turn. We're just going to zoom in on a couple of different passages from a section of Scripture in the Gospel of John this morning. And I want you to turn to John 14, 15, 16. Those chapters, those big numbers. And we're going to zoom in on a couple of passages here. This is Jesus' farewell address in many ways to his disciples, his his best friends, this group of people that have been following him for his ministry for the last three years. And in this portion of the Gospel of John, Jesus warns his disciples he's not going to be around much longer. He offers them some different encouragement, some different promises. And in this section, in this farewell address, one of his main points of emphasis is the Holy Spirit, the promise and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in John 14, in John 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a whole heading in your, in your chapter, in your Bibles that says the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's in John 14, the beginning of this kind of address in many ways. And then in John 16, and I would encourage you to turn there, I'm going to read a verse from John 16, verse 7. Jesus says this, He says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Record scratch. Like what? How could it be possible that it's for their good Jesus is going away? Well, he says, unless I go away, the advocate, which is another word for the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
Jesus is like, it's better that I leave because if I leave, you'll receive the gift, the most precious gift of the Holy Spirit. So in between his promise of the Holy Spirit in John 14 and, in, and, and his uh, declaration here in John 16, 7 of, of it's better that I leave, we have a couple of other spots where Jesus clarifies the role of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does. In John 15, uh, verse 26, Jesus says this. He says, when the advocate, again, another uh, title for the Holy Spirit, he says, when the advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, this is what I want you to hear, he will testify about me. Other translations say, he will bear witness about me. This is who the Holy Spirit is. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He tells others about Jesus. It's what he's going to do for the disciples and for everyone else who will come after them. Then I want you to, uh, we're going to turn to back to John 16, chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says this. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Jesus says he's the spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth. Well, how has Jesus described himself a few chapters before? Jesus has said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, this is my Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. What's he going to do? He's going to guide you to me. He's going to guide you to the truth. And he's also going to, to glorify me. He's going to, to make, oh, glorify is just another way of saying, he's going to make me beautiful. He's going to just fill your minds and your eyes with, uh, with radiance of, of who I am and what I'm about. So this is why I'm going to try and simplify this for us this morning of, of the portrait that Jesus is offering, who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does. Ready? Okay? The Holy Spirit points the spotlight on to Jesus, guides us to Jesus, reveals who Jesus is, and glorifies Jesus. In other words, makes him beautiful. This is what allows for true growth, true change, and true transformation. Without it, we will not experience true growth, true change, true transformation. We need the Holy Spirit. So I want to try and bring this down to like real life with a real life example, okay? So, so to do that, I want to ask a question. Um, have you guys ever interacted with someone who is just like obsessed with the awesomeness of a person and like every chance they get, they want to talk about that person and just like point the spotlight onto them? You guys ever, done, you guys ever had that experience? I'm guessing that 95% of you in the room right now are thinking about the Swifties. The 5% of you that are not thinking about the Swifties are Swifties, okay? Now, hey, listen, Swifties, listen, okay? I love you. I have nothing against you. I have nothing against Taylor, okay? I do have some hot takes about her music and her music alone. If you want those, you can find me after, okay? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm feeling the Swifties coming after me. But we can all acknowledge this is getting a little ridiculous, right? This is getting a little out of hand, Okay, like, I mean, we have people who are trying to hold a pencil the way Taylor Swift holds a pencil. You can Google it. We have people out here adopting cats that look like Taylor Swift's cat, Meredith. 
And all the Swifties in the room, heart just jumped when I mentioned her cat Meredith, right? We have Travis Kelsey out here, her football boyfriend. His jersey sales went up 500% when news broke that they were dating or not dating or whatever they're doing, making money. All right, Taylor's a billionaire now. Wow. Okay, this is getting ridiculous. It's getting out of hand. So much so, this is, this is insane, okay? In April... There was this woman, she skipped work, she called in sick to stand in line, and there were cameras around interviewing people. She saw the cameras, look, look at her. She threw a blanket over her head so that she wasn't seen on TV, so she couldn't get in trouble at work for calling in sick when she was actually just standing in line at a Taylor Swift merch table. She wasn't even trying to go to a concert or trying to get tickets for a concert. She was just trying to buy a sweatshirt. <laughs> And you're like, is he about to do what I think he's about to do? Yes, I am, okay? You're never going to forget this. On a way more significant, way more powerful, way more transformational level, way more, the Holy Spirit is like a Swifty on steroids. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is like Jesus-y, okay? The Holy Spirit is constantly trying to point us to Jesus, reveal who he is, guide us to him, and glorify him, make him beautiful. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And without it, we won't experience true transformation. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament later on, after Jesus, after Jesus is gone in his second letter to the Corinthians, I'm not going to have you turn in your Bibles. We'll have it on the screen in chapter 3, at the end of chapter 3, verse 18. It's this honestly just biblical masterpiece. We don't have time to get into all the layers and stuff here. But, but Paul summarizes it so clearly, states it so firmly. He says in verse 18 of chapter 3, And we all, who with unveiled faces, that's some of the layer stuff we don't have time to get into, but he says, contemplate the Lord's glory. He says we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul says it so clearly. We experience transformation by beholding the glory of the Lord, which comes from the Spirit. It comes from the Spirit. Not our own power, not our own strength. It comes from the Spirit, not our own discipline or our own capabilities or our own competencies. It comes from the Spirit, not our own mental tally of, of the good things that we've done and the bad things that we've done. And if the good outweighs the bad, we're good, we can come to church. But if the bad outweighs the good, we feel so good to, we can't even come to church, right? It comes from the Spirit. Not from, a, not from a, a hands closed posture, like, come on, Austin, come on, Austin, come on, Austin, like, get it together. It comes from a self-emptying posture, hands open, saying, come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Friends, if we don't recognize our own limits, we will never experience, we will never experience the potential that Jesus has for us. I love the way that Dane Ortland puts it so clearly in his book, Deeper. He says, closed vents can't be clean and full cups can't be filled. And the Spirit does not enter where we are quietly operating out of self-dependence. But the distraught, the empty, the pleading, the self-despairing, those tired of paying the tax of obedience to God and trying to live on what's left over, there's our hearts irresistible 
to the humble, to the humble Holy Spirit. This reality reminds me of, of a powerful moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. In Jewish tradition, there's seven festivals or feasts, and each festival has its own set of tradition, rituals, all with their own symbolism and significance. One of the festivals, one of these seven, was a festival called the Festival of Sukkot, or the Feast of Sukkot. In your Bibles, it might say the Festival of Tabernacles. And this festival, again, had lots of rituals, traditions. One of the, one of the key ones was a water ceremony. And in the water ceremony, the, the priest of the temple would leave the temple. He, he'd hike down to the southern part of Jerusalem. He'd go to a pool called Salome. You can go there today. Amazing excavation happening there. You can pull water. He would pull water from the pool of Salome. He'd walk back to the temple. Some stuff happening behind him. Some choirs singing some stuff. He'd come back. He'd pour the water into a bowl. And then he'd take the bowl of water and pour it over the altar. All to symbolize the way that God brings rain and God brings new life. Because back then, today, rain is rain right back then rain is life and this festival lasted seven days and on the seventh day the seventh day was the driest day of the year it symbolizes the end of the dry season the beginning of the wet season the final seventh day was called the great day the pinnacle of the celebration this would all happen seven times back and forth the priest gathering water seven times back forth back forth back forth and on one of these years at one of the festivals in Jerusalem the festival of Sukkot in John chapter 7 verses 37 to 39 this guy named Jesus stood up as the priests were either still gathering water or after they just finished it says that Jesus stood up in John 7 37 to 39 and he said and he cried out it says or in a loud voice he said let anyone who is thirsty come to me whoever believes in me as scripture has said rivers of living water will flow from within them by this John's like here I don't want you to miss this by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive but up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified this is such a baller moment from from Jesus like, we cannot miss the power. We cannot miss the significance of this image. The priests are still gathering. They've just finished up. It's in the middle of this, the pinnacle of the ceremony. Jesus stands up and he says, anyone who is thirsty, come to me. And wherever we're at, wherever we were at eight weeks ago when we started this series, wherever we're at, today, wherever we find ourselves, we need to hear this good news that this amazing moment, this image offers us. Jesus is not after our gallons of water. He's after our thirst. Jesus is not after our gallons of water. He's after our thirst. I need to hear that. I think we all need to hear that. I've been just sitting on this for a while. I gave a message probably over a year ago now, centered on this text, on this moment. I've been asking God, God, just let this reality seep into my bones and into my life more and more and more. I need to breathe this in like every day, even this week. I was thinking about the message, thinking about this moment, the two connected. And I'm gonna be honest, 
even before I lost my voice at the end of the week. Uh, this week was just a tough week. Some hard stuff going on. My son was sick all week. I'm figuring out how to be a parent that's sick with a kid that's sick. It's hard. Wow, very difficult. And I'm just having a hard time. And I decided in the middle of the week, like, I'm going to try and find my rest and refuge in you, God. I'm going to try and get up before my son gets up, have some time with you. I had a whole set of expectations for how this time was going to go, which I'm learning is never a good idea. So I get up. My alarm goes off, right? I get up. I'm like, yes, I did it. Okay, all right, here we go. Seconds later. Parents, you know, the monitor. I start hearing my son cry. And I lose it, man. Like, oh, I was so mad. So I get, I get my son up. I'm doing the dad things, you know. And I'm so mad at God. I'm just expressing some of this frustration. Like, God, I'm tired and I'm trying so hard. And I, I just heard God say, so gently as God possibly can, he's continued to say it throughout the week, Austin, if you think that you can go deeper on your own power, on your own strength, on your own perfect morning routine, you're swimming towards the shallow end, not the deep end, my friend. I'm going to say this as gently and kindly as I know how because I know that I need to hear it as well. But if our life with Jesus... If growing deeper in Jesus feels like something that we can do on our own strength, on our own power, on our own ability, on our own discipline, something's wrong. We can't. We need the Holy Spirit. Which is exactly why I believe Jesus, through the power of his living word, is constantly, perpetually inviting us, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture I said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And before we can even get the words yes out of the, the word, it's one word, the word yes out of our mouth, Jesus offers us his, his own Holy Spirit, his most precious gift. See, the Holy Spirit is the well of living water. It flows from within us. It points us to Jesus. It guides us to him, reveals who he is, and, and makes him beautiful, glorifies him, and makes true change and transformation possible. It's why Jesus so boldly says in John 16, it's better that I leave so that you can have the Holy Spirit because Jesus knows it's a whole lot better to have a well living within you than it is to have a drink every so often. I'm, friends, I'm telling you, the deeper we go, the more we start to understand, Jesus was never asking us if we were thirsty for a drink. Jesus was asking us if we're thirsty for a well. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus, guides us to him, reveals who he is, makes him beautiful, makes true transformation possible. We can't do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. So as we wind things down here this morning, with an awareness of our desperate need for the Holy Spirit. I want to get ultra practical. We skipped a chapter in the book, uh, Deeper, that the series is based on. It's nine chapters. We had eight weeks. And one chapter is dedicated to some real practical stuff that I want to just mention. Because every Christian, we are all, and in our effort to fix our eyes on Jesus, to grow deeper in him, we're like trees, man. And trees have to be rooted they have to be rooted in something. What they have to be rooted in is Christ's body, his church. Your presence here this morning communicates a desire for that. All right? But trees don't just need to be rooted. They need water. They need light. 
And Dane Ortland says that there are two things, two very practical things that are for the Christian, aside from being rooted in Christ's body and church, two things are as essential as breathing. Two things are essential as light and air. I mean, light and water for a tree. Scripture and prayer. Now, I understand I just gave a whole message on our desperate need for the Holy Spirit and not doing things on our own power. And now I'm getting ultra practical, talking about two things. I need you to hear these two things that we do are an attempt to empty ourselves, to confess our desperate need for the Holy Spirit and allow him to meet us through these things, to guide us to Jesus, reveal who Jesus is, and make him beautiful. And these two things, aside from our presence here in the gathered assembly, I think are the two things the Holy Spirit meets us and does that more. And every study, every research thing will support that. So here's these two things, scripture and prayer. I'm going to go through these faster than you've ever heard anybody introduce scripture and prayer. Okay, all right. So the first thing is scripture, the Bible. What is the Bible? I'm going to give you a quick definition. The Bible is a library of writings that is both human and divine that tell a unified story that leads us to Jesus. It's not a pep talk. It's good news, like the front page of a newspaper telling us about something that's happened, most namely this guy named Jesus, Okay. If you're like, I want more on this. I'm not familiar with the Bible. Is it really trustworthy? How do I engage with it? What do I do? We did a series this year, awesome series. I'd encourage you to check it out. It was called, You Really Believe This, Why the Bible Still Matters. Four weeks, it was in the spring. You can find it, podcast it, watch it. That's gonna be an incredible resource. But hear these words from Dane Ortland about scripture. He says this, you will go deeper with Christ, no further than you go into scripture. To read scripture is to read of Christ. Scripture is the place where the Holy Spirit meets us. We confess our desperate need. He guides us to Jesus and brings transformation. All right, the second thing is prayer. What is prayer? Talking to the living God of the universe. (laughs) Nothing more, nothing less. Prayer is not a monologue. It's not us talking to God. It's not just God talking to us. It is a dialogue where we listen and we speak and God listens and God speaks. The God of the universe who created everything listens and speaks with us. We listen and speak with him. Which Tyler Statton in his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools says, I love this, is utterly breathtaking or completely ludicrous. And I would say it's both. Prayer is the conversation starter for growing deeper in Christ. If you want to create space to confess your desperate need for the Holy Spirit, to empty yourself, to allow the Holy Spirit to meet and guide you, start by building a more consistent rhythm of scripture and prayer in your life. Notice I said more. So if it's zero, start with one. One time, engaging with God through his word and and spending some time in prayer. If it's twice a week, go to three. More consistent. Remember, slow change is real change. And speaking of prayer, I would like to, to close this morning by spending some time in prayer. This, has, this series has been amazing, at least for me. 
It feels like a family trip that's just been so awesome. And you don't want the family trip to end, you know, but it's got to end. And so today it's ending. And I want to give us some time in prayer to think, reflect on what's just the one, eight weeks we've been drinking from a fire hose. What's the, we believe God meets us and speaks to us here in the gathered assembly. The power and presence of Christ is here. And so I want to just give you some time to reflect. What's the one thing that you've sensed God saying to you and revealing to you? The truth, the nugget that you're holding on in your discipleship, in your deepening relationship with Jesus after this series is over. And I know it may be hard to pocket it all together. You've slept a lot since then. So I'm going to give you a quick refresher of where we've been these last eight weeks, okay? Maybe it's the truth of who Jesus really is and our often small view of him. Maybe it's our need to walk through the door of despair. Maybe it's the importance of our union with Jesus as the one thing necessary. Maybe it's the continual opportunity to collapse into Jesus' love, loving embrace. Maybe it's the reality of our justification and acquittal that Jesus has accomplished. Maybe it's our need for honesty with God and with others. Maybe it's the role of suffering and pain in our journey with Jesus Or maybe it's this morning our desperate need for the Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus and to help us grow deeper in him. Maybe it's none of those things, something else God's been saying to you. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to just reflect and to think, what's that one thing God has said to you over these last eight weeks? With that one thing in mind, I want to invite you to pray with me. And if for those who feel comfortable as you close your eyes and bow your heads, I'd invite for those who feel comfortable to just open both of your hands in a, in a posture of receiving as I pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amplify and multiply the truth of Jesus that you have revealed to us over these last eight weeks. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We are thirsty. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill us with rivers of living water within. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Do what only you can do. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.